Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The setting for this week's verse feels a lot different than last week's, doesn't it? Last week we talked about how he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that feels very positive and, and, and beautiful that we're on these, 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 these paths of righteousness. This week, though, we're talking about the valley of the shadow of death. It feels very different, but I got a little clue to something pretty interesting when I looked at it in the original language. Is, is where our many translations say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. The word in the original language, it actually, it's a word that is signifying building on. So in other words, this verse is building on the idea of the previous verse. God leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and now building on that idea, even bigger than that idea, is that through the valley of the shadow of death, he also leads me. This verse actually packs even more power than the previous verse. It's building on that by talking about how God leads us through this dark valley, this valley of the shadow of death. Now, when I think about shadows, um, I got to share, I, I, I'm kind of brought back to, I, I think back to um, some of my time that I've spent with Camp Rise, the, our, our, our summer camp that we, we, we sponsored in the summer and we organized in the summer. And I think back especially to um, when I was a high school age counselor, when I was a, a junior counselor at camp. Uh, because at, in camp, one of the things that we do for the counselors, because they serve all day, is that, that after it lights out, the counselors get to spend some time together. They, the, the junior counselors do and, and get to have like a little counselor campfire and stuff. And when I was in high school, there was a time when um, there, were, there were so many kids that I was actually in a cabin that was away from the rest of the campers. And so I had to stay up, up in that cabin kind of away. And so after counselor campfire at night, after counselor campfire, I would then have to walk through the woods in the dark back to my cabin and I would go and I would make that walk through all those woods by myself and when I did I'm not gonna lie it was a little bit scary <laughs> actually it was I was kind of a lot scared at times I still did it um, because I love being out at counselor campfire but it was it was a bit scary but as I would do it something that would help me actually is something that maybe would seem a little bit odd is actually what I found helpful was as I was walking, I would actually turn my flashlight off. Actually turn my flashlight off because when I had my flashlight on, my flashlight, when I was shining through the trees, the trees would make all of these shadows. And the shadows were what really scared me <laughs> and what really made me nervous. When I shut my flashlight off, there was just enough light from the moon that I could see what was in front of me. But when I had my flashlight on, the shadows the trees would make would what really would make me nervous and really make me feel scared. Shadows have that effect. And this verse, it talks about how sometimes we walk through a valley of shadows. Shadows of death, the shadow of death. When I walked in the woods, when I was going back to my cabin, when I would see those shadows, it would look like something. It would look like something big. It would look like something scary. It would look like something that could, could cause harm or something. This verse is talking about how sometimes you might be in a valley where the shadow that you see looks like or feels like death. Sometimes in life, when we look around, we're going to see things that look like death. 
sometimes we're going to face the reality really of, of death itself. The fact that, that we live in a world where life doesn't go on forever the way it was meant to, where death is real. But as you think about death, don't just think about stopping breathing. Death is, is, is bigger than that. Probably the most helpful picture I've found, for at least for helping you understand, is actually I think about my cell phone. And uh, I know it seems weird at first, but hear me out. Is that my cell phone, I will say my cell phone is dead when the battery doesn't work anymore. When, when the, the phone, it's not the phone stops breathing, and it's not that the phone stops existing, it's, it's that now the phone is unable, incapable, incapable of being what it was meant to be, of doing what it was supposed to do. It's incapable of, of fulfilling what it was created for. This is really what death is in many ways. That's why it's not just that you don't stop breathing. That's why we can talk about spiritual death. Spiritual death is being separated from God. Spiritual death is, is the inability to have life with him and to live the way you were meant to live. And so when you think about death in that broader way, when you look around, when you look around our world, you can see the shadow of death all over the place. You can see the shadow of death when people are full of guilt and shame for things that they've done wrong. You can see the shadow of death when you feel guilty and full of shame for things you've done wrong. You can see the shadow of death when you are experiencing hurt because people have wronged you. You see the shadow of death when you look around and you see a world that is full of violence and full of war and full of sickness because that's not what this world was meant to be. You see the shadow of death when people try to find fulfillment and try to find satisfaction and try to find joy in places other than God because that's not where we were meant to find it. We see the shadow of death when you see families that are broken and, and, and people who are unable to connect and, and, and be united with each other. We see the shadow of death all over the place. And that's why, that's why so often we're full of fear and worry. And we just feel all nervous so often. Because just like me walking on the path back to the cabin, shadows, they scare us. And so we're walking through a life that can be pretty scary sometimes because all around us we see the shadow of death and then we're living in a world where we, we, we feel far from God. I mean, I notice it talks about how there's the valley of the shadow of death. In, in scripture often when somebody goes up to meet with God they go on the mountain. The valley is the opposite. So often we feel like we're in a world that we are far from God. Where we are surrounded by shadows and shadows are scary. But even though we walk through the valley where there's the shadow of death, this verse says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. We might feel far from God. We might not be on the mountaintop. It might seem like we are deep down in the valley. But our God meets us in the valley. He comes down into the darkness to us to walk us through it and in Lent we see this clearer than probably any other time of, this, of the year because in Lent we see that God himself became human for us to live this life that we are meant to live but then actually to go and enter the deepest darkness of all right to enter death for us Jesus came down and entered death for us he went down into the deepest valley into the darkness to let us know that he comes down in the darkness to be with us, to make it so that we can be with him.
He paid for our sin in the darkness so that now nothing would have to separate you from God. So now nothing can, can hold you back from God. So now through faith in Jesus, you are right with God and you can know that he is walking now with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Our verse says that, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Jesus is with you. And there's a couple other things he does too. Notice what this verse says next. David goes on to say that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those words, the rod and the staffs. The rod, first of all, it talks about like something that like a shepherd would use to, well, actually, it's really a word, it's a, not just a shepherd, shepherds would use it, but anybody would use it. It's a kind of a picture for anything you would use for like discipline, for keeping someone or something in line. The word staff, it, it describes something that you would actually lean on for support. Um, so you think about like a walking stick. And so you think about a shepherd who would lead, would use something as a walking stick, but then also could use it to kind of reach out and, and grab and, and to discipline and to keep in line. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily typically think about, about discipline or something like that to help keep me in line. I don't necessarily think about that as comfort right away. I don't like the idea of that. And yet at the same time, at the same time, if I'm walking through a scary place, if I'm walking through a place where there's danger, knowing that there's someone who's going to keep me in line and keep me on the right path is a comfort. It's kind of like just thinking of another youth thing today. Is that there's this game that we play um, sometimes uh, with this activity that we do. Um, I haven't done it in a while. I should do it again soon. Um, where we have people in pairs, and the one person is wearing a blindfold, and they can talk. Um, but then the other person um, is leading them, but they can't talk. So it's this real teamwork thing and learning about faith and trust. But if you are walking with a blindfold, if you, even now, let's think about you don't have a blindfold in, but let's imagine you are walking out here where it is just completely pitch black. You might feel like you might stumble over something, that you might fall, or maybe you even, over here on the sidewalk, inside a church, there's some edges here, right? If it was completely dark, you might be afraid that you would fall off the edge. It would be a comfort for you to have someone, to know that there's someone who is going to lead you through there so you don't stumble, who's going to lead you through there so you don't fall off the edge. If you start going one direction or another, who's going to pull you back and keep you going in a path that is safe, in that path of righteousness, in a path that will lead you where you want to go. Our shepherd does that. Our savior does that. He does that through his word. He does it as he speaks to us. He does that through brothers and sisters in Christ who continue to encourage us. Seasons like this, like the season of Lent, are a special time too for helping keeping us on track because it's a season of repentance where we go to look at God's word and we think about, okay, where do I maybe go on astray? Where do I maybe go the wrong direction? And then we can turn back to the cross where we receive again that forgiveness, where we are reminded again that we are right with God through faith in Jesus. Our Savior all the time, but especially this time of year, we think about him pulling us back so that even when we're walking through that valley of darkness and the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because he is with me. His rod and his staff are pulling us, keeping us going the direction we want to go. He is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Before we conclude this week, I just want to share one more thought about shadows. Back here behind church, and there's the tall, the, the steps here behind church, and there you can see the shadow, the shadow of the steps. The shadow looks like the steps, but it's not the steps. 
these are the steps. You can't walk up the shadow. The shadow doesn't actually have that strength, that power. It doesn't do what the steps do. At this point, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor, of course, that's just a shadow. These are the actual steps. But here's the thing as you think about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Because Jesus entered into our valley, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, you can see that you're walking in a world of shadows. They might feel scary. They might make you nervous at first. But just like this shadow down here is not actually the steps. It doesn't actually have the, the strength to support you or to get you up. The things in this world are now for you because of Jesus like shadows. They're like shadows. They lack the power that they used to have. Yeah, death's still real. There's still sadness. There's all these things. But think about what Jesus said when his buddy Lazarus died. He talked about he's the resurrection and the life. And he talks about whoever um, believes in him, even though he dies will live, and then he who lives and believes in him will never die. It's one of those verses like, wait a minute, didn't he just say he'll die, but then he'll live, and then now he's saying he'll never die? Here's the thing, is because Jesus is the resurrection, because Jesus passed through death and then entered life the other side of it, death no longer had the power, has the power that it used to have. Death is not an end, it's not a now where I fully and completely fail to be what God created me to be. Now death is an, an entryway, it's a doorway. To the life that God has created me to have with him. Death is now more like a shadow. It lacks the power. It lacks the strength. All these things in this world, the, 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 the ways that we see and experience death in this world, they're, they're like shadows. They ultimately don't have power over your life for eternity. They do not define you or your life. Your life does not end in death. It will go through death into life, through the cross, to the empty tomb because of Jesus. Yeah, I walk through a valley of the shadow of death, and it might feel nervous, might make me feel nervous at first, but I will fear no evil, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Part five of our Passion History reading is Jesus' condemnation and then his crucifixion. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him then wove a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. 
But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate asked. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no power over me. That was not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them and handed Jesus over to be crucified. Soldiers took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Here ends the fifth reading of the Passion History. <clears throat> 